Hello everyone and welcome back. This is Marcus from Gen Con TV and we are excited to bring you another classic episode of Fireside with Peter Adkison, where the founder of Wizards of the Coast himself takes us on a trip through the untold history of Magic the Gathering with special guests from the game's illustrious past. In today's classic episode, Peter and co-host Emma Larkins are joined by David Hoppy. So without further ado, we'll drop you right into the conversation. Our guest today was heavily involved in the organized play program for Magic the Gathering. So we're going to take a deep dive today in organized play. Uh, and David also is currently the president of Gen Con. So I get the pleasure of hanging out with David on a regular basis. So it's a really, really special honor to have you on our show. <laughs> it's great to be here. It's, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun thinking back on those days. It was a long time ago that we were doing this organization. Yes, place. yes. Thinking back, we're going to do something a little bit weird right here at the beginning. Right here before we started this show, we were all reminiscing about having Richard Garfield on the show. And you, I know you watched the show. Yeah. And, and uh, you, you asked Emma <laughs> yeah. a great question. And I want to get this on, on record about what, what you got out of the time with Richard last week. Yeah, so I was saying one of the things Richard mentioned is if he doesn't like a game, he keeps playing it until he understands why the players who like it enjoy it because they're not wrong. Right. So that big feeling of, you know, no one is wrong for enjoying the kinds of things that they enjoy. Exactly. If there's a game out there you enjoy, you're not wrong. Right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> right. Right. And for me, uh, there was this moment where um, uh, I described Magic the Gathering as uh, this epiphany. Like, like um, when he described, it wasn't Magic Age, when he described the content of a collectible card game mm. to me in, that, in those days, um, I remember thinking, wow, I haven't had this experience of, of everything I know about games being turned upside down to my mind blown since 1978, the first time I played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And Richard's like, oh, for me too. Yeah. It was 1978 <laughs> mm -hmm. playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so uh, that was, now I happen to know you have a 1978 story. <laughs> where were you Where were you in 1978, so, David so Hoppy? <laughs> winding back to 1978, I was living in Chicago at the time. Mm. And uh, I was a middle schooler, and there was a game store right in my neighborhood there, Clark and Diversity. And it was a really old school game store. And I would go in there. My mom first took me in there, and then I went in there on my own. And they had the counters of miniatures all around, and mm. they were unpainted yeah. miniatures. Uh, but I was like super into those. Like I was like, wow, wizards, orcs, everything. Mm. And I would occasionally scrape together some money to buy some. And my mom even bought me a copy of that original dungeon, which was right. like the beginner version of of D and D. Mm. Uh, but sadly, I had no friends. Uh, or I mean, I'm like a friend who was like, I don't want to play that. Yeah. And so, you know, I, there was no chance that I was going to ever get to play. Uh, so, but one day I would go in there like every week. And one day I'm in there, I'm looking at things and trying to figure out if I have enough money to, to buy a goblin. And I hear this noise like, you know, and he smites him down. And there's this back room with a curtain in front of it. And uh, kick to the curb. Yeah. And I say to the guy, I'm like, what's going on behind that curtain? And he's like, you don't want to go by <laughs> And so my epiphany moment was denied. My 1978 epiphany moment denied. And so that was like your, I, I think what this, this was like your moment where you, you really could have gotten in deep early on. I could have gone in and, deep. And uh, mm. as it is, it's going to take a few years. So, okay, so let's, let's go back to our narrative. So sure. let's go, go up to early 90s. Mm. Yep. 
Tell us about David Hoppy after being denied that first moment of geekdom. <laughs> Who was David Hoppy before you met uh, up with Wizards of the Coast? Well, I'd, I'd still been reading a lot of science fiction fantasy novels, and Tarzan was my big thing. But uh, I went off to school, and uh, and then I found myself in Seattle. I was working in real estate and uh, realized I love business, but but hated real estate. Mm. And uh, and I didn't know anything about it. So I went back to school at University of Washington, got an MBA at University of Washington. My background and my family's background had always been in, my parents had been teachers mm. and they were actors. And so I was always, you know, um, fond of the, you know, the entertainment industry, you know, performance art, stuff like that. Uh, and so I was hoping somehow to bridge the two together, right? You know, my, my passion for, for, for the arts and mm -hmm. for the theater and things. And, um, and business, right? Because I thought that there were some cool things there. So, graduating from uh, business school, and there was there was a we had binders back then. Because remember, this is in the '90s, so pre-internet days. We had binders of job offerings, oh, wow. yeah. and there was a listing there from and, this. And this is about 1995. This would be 95, 90, 1995. 1995. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to put sure. that in context for our magic. Yeah. audience mm -hmm. um that would be uh the year after fallen empires right? uh, it was it was right yeah as right. yeah just yeah, in yeah, the yeah. wake of fallen empires yeah, yeah, right, exactly. right right yep okay um, um <laughs> and so there was this listing for you know looking for graduates to come work at this company called wizards of the coast and i'm like wizards of the coast what a you know, very strange name is down mm -hmm. in renton and i'm trying to figure right. out what's what what that's about uh but i'm like i'll check it out because it sounds interesting so um, very skeptically, I drive down to Renton uh, for an interview, and I was sitting sitting in the lobby uh, on Powell Street there. And, and what did the what what did the job notice say? I'm kind of curious. You know, like, you, I think you, it was they were looking for like help writing business plans for Magic the Gathering or something yeah. like that. It was right. like it was okay. very right. it was very <laughs> obscure. It was like right. just write. That's how you find your business people. It's two years after Magic's been released. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do a business plan. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got exactly. it. Yeah. Business person. <laughs> That's kind of what it was, right? Yeah, I was like, all right. Oh, I'm a business we, guy. In all fairness, we were in kind of short supply of business people. It wasn't <laughs> at the coast. <laughs> that became very clear to me. Um, so, <laughs> you know, this could be harsh. Uh, That's okay. But anyway, so I was, I was like, I, I was, I was really dubious of, of what this was all about. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the lobby there in this sort of makeshift office because you, you were sort of sprawling into all these little office complexes down there next to Boeing. And all of a sudden, these like four or five guys in suits come walking in. They go up to the receptionist there, and say, uh, "We're you know, blah, 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 blah. we're here from the Disney company, the Walt Disney company, and we're here to meet." I think it was Jim Stanton at the time. And I was like, "Well, now that's really interesting. Like something is happening here." Mm. And mm -hmm. that kind of became the, the basis of, and, and in fact, a whole lot was happening there, right? right? It was all just kind of hidden behind the, the walls yeah, at that I, point. I, I think we blew them off, but yeah. <laughs> I think they did. I, I really, in, in hindsight, I remember talking to, it was either Jim or somebody else, I said, what was up with Disney being there? And they're like, oh, they wanted to, you know, they had heard about us and they were all excited and they came in and we were like, yeah, we have, there's nothing here for either of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, at least at that yeah. time. Yeah. So yeah, so that so then um, I met with uh, Rick Ahrens, who I know we've talked about before, and he said, "Hey, we need help writing business plans because we're trying to figure out this thing." This and, and of course so, we were. So, 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 so let's just take a moment because Rick Ahrens is a name. Yes. That's going to be very big in this story. Yeah. So I just want to set up a little bit who Rick Ahrens was. Rick Ahrens is, at that time, was really, uh, kind of. Um, 
mid-management sort of position mm -hmm. at Wizards of the Coast. Um, he wasn't really a gamer, uh, mm -hmm. but he was very business-oriented, very yeah. sharp business guy. And a sports and, guy. Uh, and a sports guy. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, But he ends up being playing a key role in this. Uh, so anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's Rick. So, 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 you know, it was a funny interview, too, because he was just kind of like, it's like, yeah, you know, we're trying to figure out, like, we got, this, you know, all this, this company. It's like a crazy company. The business is so good. Like, there's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in card sales. And he says, but it's like, it's going to blow up, right? Because it's all been fueled by collectors and speculators. And he's mm. like, it's just a mess around here. And so I need somebody <laughs> to come help figure out how to, you know, really organize this, this group. Right. Which it, it, what he was really focused on at that point was what we called the events group. Right. Mm -hmm. So the 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 precursor to what we now call organized play. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the truth is, uh, one anecdote about that that's been surprising to me is that we were like we couldn't figure out what to call it, so we just kept calling it organized play. And right. then you know, it's twenty five years later, everybody's got an organized play program or yeah. an OP program, right? It's a really good name. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah do you it's, think? It's, it's, I don't, it's, I don't know. It's, it's like the best does. you could do, right? right. It does. It does what it does. It, it's it, it's there's the danger. By the way, this is good advice for anybody out there in the world of publishing. Um, Temporary working names mm. sometimes become permanent names. Yep. So, <laughs> so you, you either either give a temporary working name to something that you like mm. yeah. that might that you'd be okay with, yeah. or just come up with something ridiculous like Gleemax. Yeah. 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 Oh wait, that didn't. Become, but that one became real too, didn't it? Yeah, it didn't mm. work. Anyway, yeah. Uh, well, I always hated the words organized play because it it just sounded clunky as a marketer. I was like, oh, that's terrible. Mm. Uh, but it was yeah. the best thing we could yeah. do, come up right. with. So, right. So yeah, the the goal was to try to take this. So the events group at that time was a collection of there's a actually a bunch of theater people there. Uh, they were doing this thing called theater alchemy, and it was uh, it was all building on the you know the mythology and, right. and the swords and sorcery mm. aspects of magic. And and then there was a group that was going around to hobby retail stores around Caravan. the country. It's called Caravan, Caravan Tour. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. they were doing these tours, but they would go in costume and and do all this this kind of stuff. And um, it was costing a lot of money, mm. uh, and there yeah. was—I think there was even some ambitions to do like a stage production and some some sure. big things sure. uh, around like a play that. Yeah, for a magic play. gathering. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. traveling tours, yeah. traveling, Tra traveling theatrical yes. tours. Oh. Yes, with huh. you know with yeah. with the um, yeah. uh, the guy with the orb. I always remember the guy with the orb. <laughs> uh, prodigal sorcerer. Well, Did it was prodigal sorcerer, but mm. it was yeah. it was the, the guy. There was no there was guy who who. <laughs> Prodigal sorcerer costume and the ball, and he was. Um, oh, James was Ernest. No, no, it wasn't James <laughs> Ernest. <laughs> well, he did the thing with the ball, mm. the juggling. Anyway, anyway, so, all right. Uh, <laughs> so, but what was what was happening at that moment? And you know, it all seems so obvious in retrospect. But we were trying to basically pivot the way we thought about magic, or uh, at the time to being less of this sort of card version of D&D mm. uh, and a storyline to being, you know, this notion of an intellectual sport, a competitive yeah. sport. Yeah. Right. And so like you mentioned, Rick has, had a deep tennis background. He'd grown up playing tennis and been a tournament player. Mm. And so he was thinking about, okay, this is a, you know, magic is a one-on-one -on -one competition. It's, it's a little bit of luck, but a whole lot of skill. And mm. it's like the perfect balance of that, which is why it's such a great game. Um, and, you know, the better person typically wins in a you know best out of three match, and good players rise to the top. And so you could create a tournament structure around that. Yeah. Um, 
and that that was going to be a much more sustainable way to kind of keep magic alive. Mm. Right. So, so let me set a little bit of context for you and for the audience about what was happening, that, what you walked into, yeah, <laughs> which true. I know you know because you've heard it from other people's stuff. Mm. So we had, um, over the first two years of Magic's existence, um, our sales have been skyrocketing, going up and up and up, yep. up and to the right in a great way. Um, but we had figured out that a lot of our sales were to speculators, to people who were buying because the product was undersupplied. Mm. Uh, they would buy they would buy cards, turn around, and resell them on the secondary market for a profit. And um, <clears throat> and then so we were always trying to catch up with the uh, with the demand, and <clears throat> we came out with a set called Fawn Empires, which is where the curve of the supply and the demand curve finally crossed over each other mm. uh, with. Well, yeah. Well, but people also were getting such tiny allocations that people were ordering like five to ten times what they right. wanted just right. in the hope of getting, right. you know, 20% of that. Mm. Yeah, phantom buying. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Retailers, uh, distributors would up whatever their All orders the were. The uh, retailers would inflate their orders because mm. they knew they were going to get allocated. Retailers would buy from multiple distributors. Players would up their orders at retail stores from what they really yep. wanted mm. and more order from multiple stores. So yep. there was this, all this, what was called phantom uh, demand in the mm. market. And so we hit that, had a big crash of Magic the Gathering at the end of 1994. So going into 1995, the company was in a existential mm -hmm. sort of of threat here, mm. an ex existential crisis, which was like, what do we do in this situation? How yeah. do we, um, part of the company feeling like, well, okay, we've got to manage rarity. This yeah. is like embrace, embrace the collector and speculator aspect of the company, mm. figure out how to always short the supply of, of cards and, and fuel that, that sort of thing. But another a thought line emerged, which was the idea of of repositioning the brand, going through a marketing sort of exercise of repositioning what Magic the Gathering stood for mm. to change it from being sort of an, uh, the prior way sort of embracing the fantasy roots and casual play and the theatrics and, and mm -hmm. the costuming and, um, and also the speculation that comes with that in the secondary market stuff and moving towards the game being all about competition. Yeah. Mm. And that was kind of the, what you're walking into, right? right? And that was that was what we were trying to build. And I think over the long haul, when we look back, you know, we we I think that the uneasy balance between those two is sort of just kind of worked itself out. And that's and mm. it sort of it goes both ways, where you've got you know high level professional play, and you've got a whole bunch of storyline that that continues on now today. But you know, back in the day, like you said, it was a white hot issue, right? And the, right. and the camps were highly divided. And I came in with, with some other folks. Uh, we wound up hiring another uh, MBA friend of mine. Um, and uh, we were in the very much, this is going to be competitive. This is going to be right. sports-based. Mm. And, and you're talking about Todd Bazakis at I'm this talking, point. Well, yeah, yeah Todd yeah. came in with me at that point, And he was a finance guy. So we were going to like work out the numbers and, and, and grow this thing. But we, I mean, we were starting with, with really nothing. There had been a, a world championship at uh, Gen Con in 94. Mm. Uh, Actually, there or, even had been one in 1993 that we just threw together on the spot and called it a world championship. World championship. And, right. but, but both of these cases, they mm. were just tournament. They were an open tournament. Anybody right. could show up. Right. Anybody could play. There was no qualification process. You know, just show up, play your deck. And uh, in 93, there were no deck construction rules. Somebody 
could theoretically have come up with a one-turn kill deck, but the deck technology wasn't that way. I think it was a Plague Rat yeah, deck yeah, that yeah. won the yeah. 93 <laughs> World Championship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just swamps and Plague Rats. Yeah. Do, 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 yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we had to figure out how to build this structure, right? And, and I think the, 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 the really compelling idea uh, that a bit, some combination of Rick and Scaff came up with was that we need to create this big, the, the Pro Tour, right? We, mm. need to, we need to turn these guys who play magic into intellectual athletes, right? These are guys who are the best at what they do and they have star power, they have aspirational mm. power because when you think about, you know, well, at this time, kids who were playing basketball, like they were like, I want to be like Mike, I want to be like Michael Jordan. Mm. And that really fueled the desire to continue to play and go out and practice. And for us as a business, you know, people wanting to play and practice and be in tournaments and stuff like that was good for the business. It would get people on this cycle of playing cards. And then the cards would be valued not just for their pure collectible value, but mm. for their tournament value. And yeah. so then the, the, the job of R&D became sort of managing the, you know, the power curves and all the, the, all the you know, really smart analytics that evolved over time to make sure that the cards were right for high-level tournament play as well as casual play. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you, you kind of glossed over something there. The best of three format was that. Did that come from tennis then? Because that's like that's been such a staple, like playing. No, I think actually, if I recall right, uh, somebody in the chat will correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. I'm pretty sure that was a, the way you played a match, and right from the beginning, I think yeah. in, in oh, okay. original Magic and the original Magic, nothing to do with competition, mm. but just more. Uh, if, well, when you play a game, it's competition, but that's sort yeah. of competition. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. oh, okay, we're going to sit down and play a game. I think, I think and the was, average game length too. You, like, I you think mean, it was best two out of three was considered a match, and yeah. that was okay. an original rules. And, and whoever lost the first game would go first in the second. Each game, the second, third game, whoever lost the prior game would go first, and right. yeah, and right. stuff. Yeah. And of course, I know you've talked about in the past the anti rules were <laughs> the still anti affected. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that. Um, we'll end up talking about in the course of tournament play, which is a natural natural extrapolation from Magic being a pretty competitive game right from the beginning. Yeah. It's a one-on-one -on -one duel, like who's going to kick butt on the other one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So we we walk into this uh, to this situation, I guess, and and part of it was like. Um, I also think part of the genius of what we were trying to do at the time was it wasn't just going to be we're going to go spend a whole bunch of money and push uh, these pay for a whole bunch of tournaments to be run all over the country. It was like, how can we turn this into a little bit of a business unit in and of itself? And mm. we think about it like a business. And so, you know, membership in the DCI or, you know, the DCI is a, a classic example, like, because originally it was called Duelists Convocation, and then we changed it to the Duelists Convocation International. Right. And then it just got shortened to DCI because, like, mm. you know, there, there, it was a good example of this sort of tension between, like, I'm a duelist versus I'm just really good at playing this game. Right. right. And so we and, always lean towards that. Convocation. Kinda, yeah, yeah, convocation. Yeah, like, let's all gather together. Here. Um, yeah, exactly. So we, we started out by building the Pro Tour, and the first Pro Tour was, I would argue, uh, was in New York uh, in the winter of 96. Six. Mm. And uh, that was a bit more of a convocation, I think, where it was, uh, you know, it was <laughs> the people just kind of showed up, and we had some invites that from good players that we knew about, and they would get these special packages, you are being summoned to New York City to, to play kind of thing. Yeah. And um, and a world champion, or sorry, a first pro tour champion uh, evolved out of that. Um, but you know, 
we felt that he didn't really have the kind of legitimacy of having played his way up through the ranks. And mm. so anyway, to, to kind of you know, cut to the chase here, I think what, what we started with was this idea of let, let's create the high level event. Let's create these pro tours. Right. And then we had to say, okay, how are we going to build a feeder structure that, that plays into that? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, nothing like that existed. We knew there were, there were terms. So- yeah, I mean, so let's 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 think about the origin a bit more. Like, um, uh, which I think is where you're going. You, you walk into this company, and you're with Todd. You're with Rick Aaron's. Uh, you had a, a very short list of allies in the company, <laughs> yes, right? Uh, Scaff allies, Richard Garfield, mm. and myself. Yeah. Uh, so, Steve, pow- powerful Steve, allies, Steve but, Connor, he, Steve he, Connor. Yeah. Uh, and um, but pretty much most of the organization committed to kind of continuing to do things the way we used to. Yeah. Um, so what were those early discussions like? Like, what, what did you guys talk about in the sort of the earliest moments you can remember? So in the earliest moments, I mean, we, it, was, it was awkward, right? Because <laughs> we were in this building, uh, which was, had been requisitioned, and it was sort of an, an, uh, sort of an outbuilding uh, that had all of this, you know, this, I would say the theater alchemy kind of stuff and all, all those folks. And they plopped us in desks. And, you know, we would sit there and work on financial models and spreadsheets. And then we'd go into a little back room and we'd sit there and and it was, you know, it was those people that you mentioned, right? All of us who were trying to do the new thing. Mm. And you could feel like when we come out, they were like, what are they working on? Like, what are they thinking about? And, <laughs> and you know, the reality was we, we, we ended up shutting down a lot of those those programs, mm. like like the, the theater program and, and caravan, stuff like that, because they, they weren't cost effective in... in um, sort of building the energy around organized play in the way that pushing out uh, a tournament uh, uh, environment would be. And so the things we, we, we were trying to figure out was like, how do you, how do you qualify? How do you, um, how do you, how do you, you know, make sure that the good players pass through the ranks and can make it to the pro tour? Mm. And that's when we came uh, upon, and I don't know, it was, I'm pretty sure it was SCAF, like originally, um, who brought in this notion of creating the ELO ratings uh, and, and, and applying that to uh, to the DCI. ELO. ELO. So ELO is basically the, the rating system for chess, where every player has their expected win percentage. And so, mm. and I have a win percentage based on my history, and you have a win percentage, and um, you effectively trade points, right? So the better person is expected to win. So if I beat you, because I have a higher rating, I get a few little points for beating you, but if you beat me, you get a lot of points because mm. you weren't expected to beat right. me. Yeah. Right. And so it's a tried and true way of, of calibrating players. Um, and, and that is pure competition-based. It has nothing to do with uh, the number of matches you play with. And mm. from what I understand, they've now changed that, right? So participation right. is a part of it. Yeah. But then we had to figure out, like, I mean, some of these things that seem really esoteric, but we'd spend a lot of time thinking about, well, how many matches do you have to play in or how many tournaments do you have to play in before your rating qualifies mm. and how are we going to track all those individual matches right. uh, because yeah. this is this is pre-internet days too right so yeah. you'd get a number and we would have these forms and players would all be registered for the tournament they'd get a DCI number and they'd record all the matches 
and then we'd have to bring them back and we did tons of data entry in order to put these into a computer system, yeah. Uh, yeah. a fancy computer system in order to spit out these ELO ratings. And then how do you publish them, right? So that people would call us up and be like, so what's my ELO rate, you know, what's my DCI yeah. uh, rating? Uh, and then we'd have to rank people, and then how do we how do we carve up the rankings? And you know, this was as type two was emerging or standard was emerging. Mm. And so, are we going to have separate rankings? And then how right. do we figure out a combined ranking? Mm. And if we do a a tournament, you know, like uh, R and D, and uh, would say, well, we're we're we want to we have new mechanics that we're trying out, so we want a certain tournament format or like. Figuring right. out for how are you going to figure it out for for a sealed environment? Like what's yeah. right. what's that going to right. look yeah. like? And so do we have a separate ranking for a sealed? And and you know. So I have a question now. Like like I've been I have you know I, I left Hasbro in two thousand and one and pretty much completely oblivious to what's happened there in the last seventeen years. Mm. Um, but you're pretty up on the magic scene to yes. some extent. Is it <laughs> is it changed much since then? Is it is it pretty similar? Do you have like a, a DCI number? Do you have a ratings and rankings and all that sort of oh, stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. internet's great because you can just like, yeah. plug in yeah, your DCI a... number and it shows you like all the events that you've been to. Uh, for the actual professionals and pro tours and things, you have to earn the pro tour points. Yes. And I think yeah. that's how they managed to combine both the attendance and the performance. Yeah. Because you get the well, Unless we started Pro Tour points back yeah. in the day. Like yeah, late, yeah, later yeah. on. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, so that that way it's like you go to events, you have to like go to a certain number because you only get a certain right. number of points per event, and so you have to like go around and build that up over time. Uh, and I think that became, I think that came out, you can help me, is a way to like help make sure that top players kept getting in. Yeah. Like if you placed a certain level and yeah. as long as you kept placing at a certain level in Pro Tour events, you would always you could be perpetually invited back in. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's where it came from because we really wanted to we wanted to build stars, right? We wanted to build yeah. the Michael Jordans and LeBron Jameses of, of Magic. And uh, you know, what we were finding is that on any given day at any given tournament, somebody could shoot up, you know, out of the out of the round of 64 and, and suddenly have a great day uh, or a great draft and, and make it to the top. Mm. So, which is great. I mean, we, you want that to be possible, but at the same time, you wanted to ensure that there was a consistency of players who were showing up and who were there, the, the John right. Finkels of the world. So, mm. Yeah, so so how new was this in the world of, of game? Like, what, what did you study? To, so you we, mentioned chess. What? We studied and chess. Tennis. We studied tennis. I mean, tennis. But, why tennis? Like, well, tennis because it's a very similar. Uh, you know, the, I think believe it's. A, I don't know tennis very well, but it's like the ATP uh, ranking system, and it's based on you know you or like a handicap in golf, right? You have a certain win expectancy or performance okay. based on and your it's history. Generally one on one, and it's generally one on one, mm -hmm. right? But but beyond that, you know, those those were the the models that we had, and so we were trying to to take that and apply that to this game that kind of wanted to do that, but in a lot of ways didn't want to do it yeah, either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, all the way. So, you know, we spent a lot of time in 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 meeting rooms down in Rent, and you know, trying to figure out exactly how these how we're going to solve all these these weird challenges and, and make sure that the right players showed up because, you know. Even though early on we were giving away a million dollars, right? That was the big thing. We a million called dollar a million, pro tour. A million dollar pro wow, tour. That was the advertising <laughs> lingo. Yep. The, I, I remember working on those ads, right? And we were always like, it's got to say a million dollars. Um, 
because that was memorable. Mm. But but by the time we would, you know, the first year we I think ran five uh, pro tours around the country, and then eventually we you know we went to Japan and we went to Europe, uh, which was, and that was amazing too because we do all this work and we'd see all these tournament players in the U.S. and you go to Europe. And it's like the same people, like they're doing the same thing. Like it translates so well in Japan. I mean, everything's a little different in Japan. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they were still playing magic, right? Yeah. right. Uh, but a uh, million dollars doesn't go as far as you would think it would, right? right? Yeah. Especially, right. 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 <laughs> especially when it yeah. comes to prize money. And so, you know, the the challenge we'd have is like someone would would it was really hard to win, right? Mm. But you could maybe get top eight, right? Because then right. that's when you'd be in the in the money or top 16. Yeah. But even then, like, you you know, by the time we, and we spent time, this is one of the things we work on, is like figuring out, like, okay, if we cut to, you know, the top four, get this amount of money, and then the top eight, get this amount of money. Um, trying to, trying to you know, weight it well so that uh, players would make enough money to at least be able to show up to the next one yeah, if, yeah. They, if they qualify. Right. Right. Really hard to do, right? Because people would be like, ah, I just can't afford it, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so there was there was a whole bunch of effort that, that that went into that, figuring out exactly how to do it. So um, I seem to recall that um, we you, you also did some research into what like um, hired some consultants and stuff like that. We had we had a couple. Yeah. Odd people show up <laughs> we from time people. to time. Not just the Disney guys. We had other. Well, <laughs> but I think you know. I think that's what what you know, uh, what made it really work is that we, mm. we had people who could, we had people come in from the outside who were like hardcore on the sports side. Like we had uh, mm -hmm. ProServe were these guys that, uh, they're one of the number, they're one of the top two sports agencies uh, oh. in the world and we brought yeah. them in to help us figure out some of these structures. Um, they also wanted, they were in the very early days of developing sponsorships for big athletic events and for music venues. That, um, and, you know, I, we recognized that there was potentially an opportunity to, to make some offsetting money by sponsoring. And in fact, if anybody remembers, MCI, which was a long distance carrier, which probably most people don't remember. <laughs> trying to explain to my kids like long distance what that actually means um, that we'd have a your it's own, a telephone thing yeah it's a telephone thing <laughs> yeah we'd have to have your own like long distance carrier but MCI was was throwing around a lot of money on sponsoring things and so right. we actually did get them yep, I remember. Uh, to like sponsor it was a little bit more than that yeah mm. uh, and I remember driving around the guy from MCI and, and at the time I had an old 67 VW and uh, he came to, he came to, that was a project car that I was working on, I had at the office, and so here's this guy coming who's going to drop, you know, hundreds right. of thousands oh, of dollars on us, and suddenly, like, <laughs> somebody was sick or something, like, we were going to go to lunch, and I'm like, all right, I guess I got to drive. I'm like, I'm like, hop in, Bob, like, we're going, and, and we go off to the, to the restaurant for lunch, uh, but we got, the, we got the deal, so we must have, must have made an impression. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, so we had we had these ProServe guys, uh, that, but and they were really smart, right? So yeah. that was well, and really think, helpful. Yeah, and then and then there was people who still understood that you know what magic really is as well, right. and so it was yeah. like threading that that needle between not trying to make it something that it didn't want to be. Like it didn't right. really it didn't want to be a sport. I mean, and yeah. it, it was still a still a game. Right, right. Yeah, I seem to remember. I mean, one of the things, you know, uh, of course, I was mainly interfacing with uh, Richard often coming to my office to talk about it and, uh, and Rick Aarons, who was mm -hmm. the executive. So what we did is, is um, I, I kind of set up the problem organizationally earlier 
when we decided to really pull the trigger and go full hog into organized play, we created a new department of the company called organized play. Yep. Rick mm. ended up running it. Uh, Rick reported directly to me. So, um, uh, it, it, it had all the resources that it would need and, and the management support it would need. And, uh, what I, I, one thing I remember is how thorough the research seemed to be. Mm. I mean, it seemed like, I don't know that, um, I, I think very few ventures are kicked off with as much research as what you guys. The fact that Rick had, you know, two, three MBAs. Eventually three, yeah. Yeah, with Mark Weither also uh, mm. working for him, just doing business plans. I mean, it just seemed crazy, <laughs> but he got you guys, I guess, cheap. So yeah. it was. <laughs> At the beginning. <laughs> At the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, it was. Um, you know, and we worked those things hard. I mean, we did have a, we had a lot of, we had the, benefit, I guess, of time. I'm, I remember spending many, many days and hours and weeks uh, just kind of pouring through those numbers and, and, and mm. making sure that the that it, it made sense and testing all of our assumptions around that. But, you know, it was it was still yeah. super speculative, well, right? Yeah, and you guys came up with a great plan. I remember Rick had this deck, that a PowerPoint presentation mm. about organized play. Yeah. Which I can remember it so well. He would he he paced while he was talking about it. It was so, like it was the gospel, yeah. mm. you know. And uh, it was uh, he had to go to every office. We had several offices around the world. Uh, he did pitches for every department on this is the new vision of the company and yeah. um, all that sort of stuff. It was it was very exciting yeah. uh, to have something. So um, I have a question. Let's make it uh, if we can get see if we can get out of the uh, esoteric for a moment. And um, what was the first event? That do you remember like an early event that you went to? It was mm. like okay, here's going to be. I mean, it's one thing to sit around with your spreadsheets yeah, yeah. and pr- yeah. play a spreadsheet commander. Uh, mm-hmm. It's yeah. something else to go out on the road and go to a big tournament yeah. and and go, oh my god, is this really going to work? Yeah. Uh, do you remember any moments like that? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, the first. So I didn't go to New York. I forget why there was I had a commitment or something, mm. um, and it was it wound up being relatively small. But the the first pro tour that I then went to was uh, Pro Tour LA, uh, which was the second Second one. Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. So which this was, would have been a summer or spring, spring of 96? Spring of 96. Yeah. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. So it was yep, held, I remember. I was there too. It was held on the Queen Mary, Queen Mary, which is the boat that's docked in Long Beach. So it wasn't really LA, but it was Long Beach. Mm. Uh, and um, and it's, it's crazy. Like it's, it's been permanently docked there and they, they I, kind of carved out the bowels I, of it. I think it might have moved. I, I don't think it's possible to move that, <laughs> but but anyway, uh, because I mean they carved a big old hole in the side of it for people to go in and out of it. Like they, they basically made yeah, convention that, that would be a space. problem on a show. Yeah. They made yeah. convention space out of the uh, of the you know the cargo hold and the engine rooms and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, but it was pretty uh, pretty dog-eared in uh, in 1996. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. know if they fixed it up since then. But we actually got to stay. When you get to stay on there, it, it was cool. You could stay in the in the decks, you know, in the state rooms of the of the old Queen Mary. Hmm. Um, and then we had uh, and then there's hotels in Long Beach, so we were shuttling people out. So we were doing all this setup, and we it was the first time that we actually it was it was an open event where Pro Tour New York was not an open event. Hmm. And and again, in the spirit of trying to. Um, uh, make a little money while doing this as well. We had we had open call for like open events, uh, and so 
you know, we, we sold a bunch of tickets and suddenly we realized that all these people were going to be showing up and we had to scramble around and we're setting up tables and rope and stanchions and processing people through and giving out tons of DCI numbers. Mm. Uh, DCI duplicate numbers was like one of the biggest issues back in the day. I don't know if it's still an issue now. Um, Oh, like I could counterfeit DCI number? No, like no, what would happen is, pe you know, because... Oh, two different people giving out the same number. No, no, no worse than that, because we would control those. Uh, it, was <coughs> the, it was the players who would show up saying, I don't remember my DCI number. And they'd be, oh, here, take a new one. And they'd tear up. We had these little cards that oh, you would yeah, fill out sure. one side of the card okay. and the other side and tear them. And so people would yeah. say have like four or five different DCI numbers because yeah. they just didn't really, <laughs> didn't really care. So suddenly we had thousands of people there in the belly of the Queen Mary <laughs> playing magic, which was super cool. Uh, that was really exciting. The other thing, uh, this is when we first started, um, we would close, I want to say closed circuit broadcast mm. uh, the, 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 the finals so that people who were there and wanted to watch. Right. I remember we had like a stage area, Correct. we had cameras mm -hmm. coming down. They actually had a little to... theater. Uh, they had a little theater there in the, in the, the bowels of the Queen Mary. And so we had set it all up in the control room and, you know, kind of like what we have here. But it was, at the time, it was pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty I remember damn that. cool. Like, yeah, like, I, I thought, of, I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> right. this is so awesome. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, but this is typical of the kind of things that we, we didn't know until it happened. Um, so I don't remember <coughs> who the players, Michael, was it Michael Long? Oh. Well, yeah, no, then he wound up being the guy who cheated, and, we had a, and that was a whole controversy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, how do you deal with cheaters at the yeah. Pro Tour? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Accused uh, cheaters. Alleged. Yes. No, I think it's all safe to say he cheated. No, I, <laughs> yeah, I think, he, I think he would admit it now, too. But uh, what, what, the other thing that we didn't anticipate was we, so we filled the, the, the hall with audience, and so the guys are playing, and I don't remember what, what the decks were at the time, but, you know, someone's like, desperately needs a swamp, finally draws the swamp, everyone goes, yeah! And so then, obviously, it's like, yeah. whoa, and we're like, we got to get these people out of here. Because you could hear it. You could hear so it. The, 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 it was a tell the to the players. were in a separate area, right? Mm. but the, the, I mean, from the, from the Sorry, audience. Sorry, right, I didn't but clarify the, that. Yeah, but the players are, were able to hear the crowd reactions, uh, even though it was in another part of Echoing the ship. Through the, Echoing the through the ship. Echoing through the ship. Oh, like, like, so oh, imagine shows. you're playing against somebody. There. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how they deal with that now. I mean, it has that same issue has to be uh, yeah i mean we were know, we were but, smart enough to know that we had to isolate them put them yeah. in a sound proof but you can't always find a sound proof booth right. you know particularly I mean? on a hollowed yeah. out boat right yeah so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. so uh, <clears throat> and i i do remember one very particular memory i have of that when i realized you know as for me as sort of going through this journey of starting in the the little back room of of wizards and now suddenly being here then after this whole weekend super intense weekend where we had you know thousands of people and this big event and all these these things to deal with i'm riding in the shuttle because we i guess we're providing shuttles to the airport uh and so i get on there uh and it was and there was all these other players magic players uh some pro players and just folks who have been around for for these uh, side events. That's what we call them, side events. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, this is like Monday morning, I think. And, you know, this long weekend of people playing Magic nonstop and they're on the bus. Everyone's talking about Magic and talking mm. about, their, you know, those those conversations, yeah. right? Of yeah, like, right. well, then I was playing so-and-so and so-and-so and I was like, this is just, people just can't get enough of this, right? And so yeah. that's when we knew we were really onto something there. Well, mm. that's good. I, I uh, uh, you mentioned about the 
the way we filmed it. Yeah. Mm. Right. I seem to remember that there was a lot of um, a lot of discussion about the way we filmed it, and especially as we did a, a big license with um, we did a sponsorship with uh, ESPN. ESPN two. Two. Yes. yes. Or as we as they called it back then, the Deuce. The right? Deuce. The sort of the, deuce. <laughs> right. The, the graffiti. <laughs> yeah. So we were on the Deuce. Mm. Uh, yeah. That was. Um, that was a, a, a really complicated deal because it sort of, there was like, the, the economics of being on ESPN at the time were were very fluid, right? It's like, who's paying who? Who's getting more value here? Mm. We desperately wanted to get it on ESPN. We, we didn't we didn't want to necessarily be on the deuce, but so, so it was. Uh, because <coughs> that was kind of a sanctifying yeah. thing right that this the is sport. a sport right it's what yeah it's huge i mean like yeah. like to me as a gamer uh from you know for us to be on a major sports network yeah. was so validating yeah. Oh, yeah. right yeah. it was just like we we're on espn mm -hmm. crew <laughs> whatever we're on espn yeah. <laughs> you know like that's really cool yeah, yeah. is anybody watching it i don't care yeah. <laughs> right because at least we can put it on the ad exactly right? yeah. as, as seen on espn yeah. Yeah. so I, I believe that was the 97 world championships was the okay. first event that we or maybe it's maybe it's even later '98 because we hosted that event at the Wizards of the Coast Game Center, which was okay, right. I mean, there's so, a whole story about our retail uh, efforts, which you yeah. know, organized play was always kind of closely linked to that effort to build mm. retail stores for mm. right. Wizards, right. Uh, just because you know it, it was the model that you know now you see mock sporting house and all these other yeah. game stores games right. cafes this is what right we were trying to build that you know they i wasn't really working directly on it. We we're trying to build and we were trying to make sure that organized play programs that we created like friday night magic and arena league fit really well with that retail model mm. right right uh but anyway so we had this big flagship location up in the university district here in seattle and so we were we'd set up the downstairs it was a great play area or play space, I guess, um, to to host these world championships, and we built sets, and there was enough room to bring all these cameras in. And there was, you know, it was really challenging because, uh, you know, cards are hard to read, yeah. and it's, I mean, it, it persists to this day. Mm. The technology wasn't nearly as good. Mm -hmm. uh, it was super expensive to right. to right. put on this show, uh, <clears throat> and no one had ever done it. Like no one had ever put a card game on TV, and you say, but wait. I've seen poker on TV all the time, and you'd say, yes, but magic came first. Mm. You didn't see it in 1997. <laughs> you didn't see it in 1997. <laughs> and I remember, I remember distinctly, like a year or so after, year two after uh, we had done that, or uh, maybe it's even three years, when, when poker was really on the rise, right? Mm. And it was on right. TV right. everywhere. Right. And I tuned into is ESPN. World Series of Poker. World right. Series of Poker. And a lot of magic, a lot of pro magic players had gone on to the pro. Yeah, poker yes, circuit yes. to make money. Yes, because uh, they were good at they it. They could make better, more money at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they were kicking ass on all the people that yes. weren't yes. as good at yeah. gamers as the pro <laughs> pro magic. Turns out to be a pretty good way to train for yeah, yeah. being good mm. at most any other game, right? Yeah, there yeah. was a lot of yeah. John Finkel was a, was one. I think I think uh, Mike Long yeah. actually went on and played a bunch of poker. But mm. uh, watching on TV, and I was like, holy smokes, like. That is the that's the set that we built for magic, yeah. like, like right down to the camera angles and yeah. the, the sort of big, the, the way you position two people 
we had pioneered that. So mm. magic's awesome. The the television broadcast of card games originated with Magic the Gathering. Mm. That's awesome. Add that to the so, legacy. Yeah. Add that to the legacy. Awesome. <laughs> so now, um, you know, one thing that's a uh, that's become a really big deal now is esports. Yep. And um, do you think if somebody wrote a book on esports, they they would have to put in a chapter about Wizards of the Coast and, and yeah. the history, the history of esports? Well, I mean, I would think so because this is what we were trying to do, right? We were yeah. trying to create the idea that you could um, that you could watch somebody else playing a game, yeah. uh, right. and that it was entertaining, it was compelling. Now you had and and the it, it was just one of those ideas that was before its time, frankly, because if you were dialed in, and because we can narrow cast now, right? So you, you like putting something on ESPN2, I mean, it's the right idea to get a broadcast, but it was just such a, you know, a sprayed yeah, audience, yeah, like yeah, you yeah, never yeah, find yeah. other people. But now, of course, with streaming, you can, <laughs> you can dial right in on that audience. Um, and we even, there was some early, early technology uh, that was floating around back in the, late 90s uh, that was like the beginnings of streaming and I remember Chris Galvin uh, who was one of the people who we had on the team he he was a bit of a technologist and he had come across uh, you know a little streaming technology they could put a little postage stamp sized uh, window on your screen and show you a live stream of something but you know it was super laggy and and, mm. and, hard. and and the you know the the size limitations it was you know 300 by 500 or something like that yeah. you'd never be able to see what was going on so it didn't work but he to his credit says like this is what we need to be doing mm. but you know yeah. you, had to, you had to wait 15 <laughs> years but, for it yeah but I'm also thinking about tournament structures you know like mm. the structures that that uh, you know that, that you research that your team uh, research so thoroughly back in the day and how how that evolved to become the, the the tournament structures for Magic the Gathering how influential do you think that has been on games that have come since then I think the, the basic idea that a game could also be a sport mm-hmm. I think yeah. is is really something that that grew out of magic and um, you know almost any I'm sh- anybody who who has any sort of you know, strength or, you know, interest or is good at, at games or at, at, you know, being a competitive gamer, like knows magic and, and, you know, yeah. thinks about it as, as, as like the great game that it really is. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. 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 Well, I, in, I remember when we were doing this whole thought exercise, which became this corporate initiative to reposition the game mark in marketing speak, to an intellectual sport. Mm. That's, I mean, that's what we called it. We called yeah. magic as an intellectual sport. Yeah. That's what we said over and over. It's an intellectual sport. It's yeah. an intellectual yeah. sport. I don't know how much we use that public facing, but that that became in China we did strategy. Mm. <laughs> yes, a sport for the masses. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I sports instead of esports. Right? Well, because yeah. we they actually had because it's China. Like they had an official governing body for. I think they called it non non-athletic sports or something yes. like that yeah, yeah. and so yeah. it covered chess and bridge mm. and bridge was another one that we there was right. a heavy influence on, yeah. right. on, on right. the development of magic uh, organized play and so we actually as part of an initiative to build the Chinese market we did um, we, we had a relationship we had a guy named Jackson say who had all these right. diplomatic connections yep. and business connections and mm. so we were working with 
this subgroup of like the Chinese Olympic Committee yeah. to create this, uh, this yeah, I know. governing it, body. It, it totally became the, the calling card for how we broke into China yeah. mm. uh, back in the 90s, which is a lot harder than doing business there now. Like, yeah. We got it. We had to get the, the seal of the party that this was OK. We had a certificate yeah. that Magic the Gathering was an intellectual sport for the masses. And that opened all the doors. Yep. And, and then, then yeah, yeah, it was Once all about that, getting that, that thing. Yeah. And then we, had to, we went and we had a big tournament there. And we in had to Beijing. in Beijing. You were there, right? And I was it, there. Oh my god! <laughs> and we had to wear suits, yeah, because like, we're because we're meeting with the deputy mayor, mm-hmm. uh, this guy from the deputy mayor of Beijing. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's so they have this massive tournament uh, that they're they're hosting. Uh, and then we had to go to a banquet, a, yes. like a breakfast banquet, and it was like a hundred degrees in, in Beijing that day. Mm. And we, and we're wearing our woolly Seattle suits, <laughs> and, and we have to sit there, and we're like eating like endless amounts of food, and like and drinking whiskey. Yeah, at like eleven in the morning. Oh my god. Yeah, and then yeah, and then yeah, go yeah, endure a yeah. day of, of of magic tournaments, and mm. I couldn't take off the suit either. I felt so yeah. conspicuous walking around, all these people playing magic in suits. <laughs> it's not right. So uh, uh, we're getting near the end of the time. I have a couple of questions I want to wrap up with, but before I do that, if there's any any story that you wanted to tell that we skipped past or something in this chronology, any any uh, any vignette that uh, you want to go back to, or uh, like I think there was one that I was. trying trying to recall it I that is escaping me uh right now I, I told the story about you know not going behind the wall yeah uh, yeah uh, it'll, it'll come oh well there is one vignette we were talking about Richard Garfield I think which is a funny right. my favorite Richard Garfield story because oh I, yes if you can mention Richard if you can tie Richard Garfield to a story that's that goes to the top of the list yes please so I don't remember exactly when this was but I was traveling with Richard and Scaff mm-hmm. and we were going down to California maybe it was to you know rekindle that relationship with Disney and so <laughs> we used to fly from from Seattle like at the crack of dawn we get on the 6 a.m. flight mm-hmm. to Los Angeles because you know we had families and kids and stuff so you'd want to get down there do your meetings and then get back home the same night Day trip. Anyway, so we yeah, day trip down LA to LA. Day trip. But that yes. meant getting, you know, so you'd have to wake up at like 3.30 in the morning and, and get to the airport, get on the plane. So we get down there and we have a couple hours before our meeting and, and Scaff says, have you guys ever had chicken and waffles? And we're like, no. And this was before chicken and waffles was a thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, so Richard, Scaff, and I go to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, which is a famous little local chain in LA. Mm. Uh, and, but, you know, it's like not glamorous. Mm. Uh, and there are folks back there making the waffles and stuff. So we go and we, we eat breakfast and stuff and we have our chicken and waffles. And then Richard gets up and he goes sort of shambling off to the, to the bathroom and then we're sitting there and you know we get the check and everything we're like Where, you know, where's Richard like he's not come back <laughs> and so I'm like I'll go back I, I need to use the restroom anyway so I go back there and you know the, the door handle that that turns and you know the light turn on and I go in there and there's Richard he's in in the in the Roscoe's bathroom shaving like with his shirt off he's doing the full shave because he hadn't had time to make the plane so he's got the cream on and everything I'm like uh, excuse me <laughs> I'm over here and Use the urinal. Uh, Clean himself up, and then off we jump in the car and we go off to meet with Disney. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. Well, it's you know that's what life was. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely like that. Uh, All right. So I have a um, uh, a couple questions to 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 kind of wrap things up. So when you reflect back on those years of Wizards of the Coast and involved with the OP program and Magic the Gathering and and stuff, which is really a part of gaming history. Yep. um, What what did you take? What did you take with you from that? Like, what, you know, your life now? Do you still have that? That's rooted in that experience. 
Well, I'm still in games, and I'm actually back in tabletop games. And the reason that I'm super happy... A, a nice, which is nice after that traumatic moment in 1978 with your <laughs> right. bard, bard exactly. fighting the, the guys with the axe. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but, you know, but my, my history was that I, we, you know, I left Wizards shortly after you did in 2002, and I went on and did some more trading card game stuff in Yu-Gi-Oh! And then I went and worked on Xbox, and then on mobile games, and then... Uh, Recently, we've come back together to, to work on Gen Con. And uh, I remember, uh, so we were also trying to get kids into organized play. And so we were running these junior events. And I remember being at one of the, I think it was a, a subsequent event on the Queen Mary, where I was standing around the barriers and all these kids were playing. And there was a mom standing next to me. And she said, she said, uh, I can't believe my son. Like, he's, he's so... Um, um, uh, such an introvert and doesn't doesn't have any friends at school and doesn't really talk to people and I'm looking at him here and he's a completely different oh, kid so and good. he's like they're, like because they're you know how everybody is like when you've got the common language of something like magic yeah. or right. Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon or anything like that like suddenly you have infinite friends right. um, and that's kind of you know when I've gone to other parts of the gaming industry like right. that just doesn't exist mm. like, it doesn't exist in console really and esports might be changing that mm. um, certainly doesn't exist in mobile and but now coming back to Gen Con where we're all games like that is absolutely everybody is you go to Gen Con and everybody's speaking the language yeah. of games and everybody's a friend right, right. And we used to say all right. you need is a game a deck and a friend or no yes, sorry, a that, deck yeah wait I'm, uh, I butchered it you need a brain, a, a deck, brain, and a deck friend. friend. Brain, brain, a deck, and a friend. Brain, a deck, and a that was a market, <laughs> Magic the Gathering marketing. Yeah, that was a slogan, slogan for a while. That was on the other <laughs> side. That was not organized play. We did not, we did not come up with that clever concept. But the point is, is that you know, uh, games is just it's such a fantastic way to uh, to, to build friendships and, uh, and yeah. So when you if you're if you're if you're playing, you've got thousands of friends. Okay. So the corollary question, and the, so the, the on, on the other hand, yeah. is, what were you really glad to leave behind at Wizards of the Coast? <sighs> Boy, uh, <laughs> a whole weight just <laughs> fell on your shoulders. You no, you did leave it behind. Uh, it I was. did leave it behind. Uh, well, you know, the the after Wizards was acquired by Hasbro, mm -hmm. uh, the you know the the trips to or receiving visitors from Pawtucket. Yeah. Yeah. Not. not not yeah. so much fun. <laughs> Maybe we'll just leave it at that. I think they've, they've I know changed a lot. They've changed I, a lot. Yeah, and yeah, they understand yeah, it now. I, but they, I, at the time when they suddenly were like, hey, we've got this shiny new thing. And right, like what, right. and, and you know, trying to protect what magic was about was, was a bit of a challenge at that mm. time. And, and you know, yeah, the business has yeah. its up and down. So like yeah. during the downtimes, that was yeah, those, those trips, right? Yeah, I had, to, um, I will say I had a great, I felt like I had a great relationship with Alan Hassenfeld, mm -hmm. who was the CEO at the time, and um, Alvarecki, who was the CFO. I really feel like um, a, a great sense of fondness for them. But yeah. um, And Mike Gray is you know, another yes, great. Yes, Mike Gray. Great uh, but yeah, there were a lot of other people who were trying to meddle in our business especially on the international front take away a lot yeah. of take away the business and manage it themselves which you didn't understand what a delicate um infra uh you know uh system it was mm -hmm. Eco ecosystem is yeah. word yeah. I'm for yeah. Yeah. yeah the magic the gathering was a complex ecosystem you couldn't just take over how to you know oh, well we're going to distribute ourselves into germany and france or whatever yeah. or and then why are you spending so much money on organized play was always the question and that i think it was a fair mm. you know i think it was a fair comment and alan even said that to me once you know i love this business don't get me wrong but you know uh, it's so exciting you have this great amazing gross margin 
but then you you, yeah. you spend half of it on on organized play and so at the end of the day it's a good business but not as exciting of a business as uh it, maybe some of the comparable businesses yeah. which were more about gross margin because they yeah. didn't have you know we had this very enviable gross margin um but we spent a lot of uh Marketing. Yeah, marketing. marketing. That's right. exactly organized right. Organized play was effectively <laughs> marketing. Yeah, yeah, but there was a couple. There was a, oh, plenty I, of non-organized play marketing money that was being spent. Yeah, yeah, and those yes, of us on the yes, organized play yes. side would be like, don't even bother with that. And yeah, they were saying the same thing about you. That's, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah. hey, in fact, I mean, we have a couple minutes to squeeze in one more question because I, 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 this is uh, interesting at least to me. Um, I think one of the things that Rick was very big on in the early days, and um, I think you mentioned it too the other day when we talked about this, is how there was this hope that we could turn the magic organized play department into something that would actually pay for itself or yeah. maybe even make money. Yeah. Like, like that there was a, a business model yeah. there. Yeah. Um, how did that turn out? Uh, <laughs> didn't really work. <laughs> it's hard but to that's what you were asked to do, but right? But that's what that's we were asked to do. And I, I would say two things about that. One is that um, it creates a discipline in how you think about it. So we didn't think about what we were doing as a marketing expense, right? right. And it also gave us, you know, a, a, a bit of a hedge, right? So we, we, we could offset uh, offset how, how we were doing things, uh, you know, in terms of the amount of money that we were, we were spending. And then the other thing is that, you know, when you... When you think about it as as a business, uh, you know you tend to um, you know make different decisions, right? And so I think we were just uh, we were just more disciplined about how we use money and spend money and tried to make money, um, mm -hmm. and also then recognizing. I think part of the reason why it didn't work was that it was a there was a limited pot out there, right, of of money that was available, and one of the big things that that we quickly realized that we we couldn't do ourselves was manage the huge infrastructure of qualifier tournaments and Grand Prix and things mm. like that. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about like the, the people, you know, we had guys like, you know, Kevin Klipstein, who was an early guy, Chris Galvin, I mentioned, who found all these tournament organizers now, many of whom are still around now uh, running magic tournaments who were critical to our success. Right. Yeah. Alan Hockman. The Alan Hockman's, the, the Tim Shields, Scott Larrabee, yeah. uh, yeah. Brian David Marshall and the crew out of New York. I mean, these guys, we learned so much from them because they were the ones who were first on the ground and they would host these events and you know, pre-internet days, we'd get them on the phone you know, Monday after the weekend and say like, how did your events go? You know, and we'd, you know, we'd get all these reports about how these things right. were happening. Right. Mm. But those guys needed to make money too, right? So right. Yeah. running, so that was money. That they was really in, had to make money. They had to make money. Because they were doing something, yeah, they, they have no other, we, we had the bigger interests. Right. The, yeah. So there was money in the system and there was right. probably an opportunity where we could have gone in and taken all that on, but it ser served us much better to have this whole uh, right. independent infrastructure out there. Right. And, yeah. and right. those guys were amazing. So uh, definitely shout out to them. All right, so last the last question. We're running out of time. So, uh, what are you doing these days, David? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, as we mentioned, I'm running the best four days in gaming. I have the I have the best job in gaming, I think. Um, and you know, Gen Con is in its fifty. Well, we're going to be going into our fifty third year mm. in uh, 2020. Um, you know, the show has grown now upwards of 70,000 people. We're streaming Gen Con yeah. TV. Yeah. Um, it's um, 
you know, it's hey, hey, it's hey. awesome. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you like the job. <laughs> right answer. Yeah, right, right. Thanks, boss. Just checking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just checking. You heard it. You heard it from yeah. here. Yeah. It's on record now. He yeah, likes I'm the job. <laughs> well, good. I, I got to say, it's it's been a pleasure to work with you at Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. It's been a pleasure to work with you at Gen Con. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for being on our show. We've had a long history. It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed today's classic episode of Fireside with Peter Adkison. If you want to catch the show live, be sure to tune in every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv backslash TV. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date on all the Fireside podcast happenings. We will be back every Monday with classic episodes of Fireside covering the history of Magic the Gathering and every Friday with new episodes of Fireside Dungeons and Dragons. Again, I've been Marcus from Gen Con TV. Thank you for listening, and we will see you soon.